Welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. We're going to cover Match Day 22 today. We've titled this episode, Call Me Ishmael Dummy. Ryan, what's happening in your world? Oh, you know, uh, I've been pretty busy. Um, Work has been kicking my ass lately. uh, And I was sick last week with COVID. So that was um, not the greatest, not the worst. Uh, I wouldn't advise getting it but um yeah i'm here now and i'm i'm happy to be happy to be able to talk some u.s men's national team and and soccer etc dude it is great to have you back uh covid literally has kicked everyone's ass that i've worked with that's had it um and i know that we've been trying to do so much with the pod that you know between a kid and covid it's been very difficult to make the type of forward progress that we want although i think we have to some extent um, Ryan, can you fill in our audience on a few of the things that we've got cooking? Yeah. Um, first off is we have a YouTube channel now. It um, is pretty bare bones at the current state, but uh, it's a good spot to catch the pods if you're um, more into catching it there. And um, it'll it'll grow in terms of, uh, you know, what kind of stuff we put up there and everything. It's a It's a good thing to have. So we're excited about that. And then uh, we have uh, another podcast in the works right now about um, sudden cardiac arrest uptick in in football in the world. Um, something we're we're pretty excited to talk about, and uh, something that takes a little bit more um, background work in order to make sure you you look into what's actually going on and everything. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about this kind of stuff, so we try to uh, you know maintain. Yeah, well said. It's definitely not one of those pods that we just want to go into with opinions. There's a lot of academic research that we've compiled to try to um, to try to make it accurate, at least to the best of our ability. I think the final note is we're having conversations with the Washington Post on the NWSL lawsuit, um, which is timely considering the USSF election. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really good thing to be rehashing right now. Um, yeah, specifically because of what you said. So it's exciting. I, I'm getting ready for uh, all that to happen. And uh, also pretty excited about the conversation we're going to have here. Um, we title this U.S. Men's National Team this section on our doc, but um, really it's more of like a MLS transfer WTF segment. Yeah. Um, Acosta and Areola had prospective moves shot down, basically. Um Seems like they got a little bit of shade thrown on at them on um, social media, or maybe you know the situation was described in a manner that they did not consider um, appropriate, and they decided to to react and say some stuff. Uh, it's a really interesting situation. Um, Al, what's your like initial read on that? Yeah, I, I my initial read on it um, in terms of what I think is actually happening with the players is that they're likely trying to make a move that their clubs aren't allowing them to make. And there seems to be financial benefits for MLS teams to do business with one another, as opposed to doing business with external leagues, if possible. Um, But aside from that gut reaction, my initial read was what the hell is GAM and what the hell is TAM? And that's where I had to start with my research. Yeah. So uh, what general allocation money and uh, targeted allocation money? That's right. And there's an article that was written by The Guardian in, in 2018. I don't know how credible it is, but the title's really telling. It says, it, it goes, it reads, Tam, Gam, and Trades, Why MLS is the World's Most Overcomplicated League. And Eric Wynalda put out a quote not too long ago that mostly paraphrase goes something like this. If something is overly complicated, somebody is trying to sound smart. If it's presented in a simple way, someone is trying to be helpful. And I'll tell you that understanding GAM and TAM is not simple. What I can also tell you is that using a dollar sign after the word GAM or TAM is inappropriate because it's not dollars that are being exchanged between teams. So maybe that leaves us at a point of like, what is GAM and what is TAM? Yeah, well, they can, I I think they are real dollars only in the sense that they can be allocated to offset real costs that are in dollars, right? So, so like in the balance sheet, sometimes, it, or at least in the balance sheet that would be presented from an MLS team to the league, they look like they're dollars. Um, I think what you said initially is kind of at the crux of what's going on here about um, it is. It's more difficult for an MLS team to 
do transfer dealings outside of the league rather than inside of the league. And um, because of the it being like a single entity and that the way when a transfer happens in the MLS, the league takes the money in and then gives out allocation money to the team that ended up selling it. I don't know how the proportions work and everything, but I do know that in a lot of instances, not all instances, uh, youth players or, or um, God, what's the term they use? You know, people that came from their academies, homegrown talent is homegrown, dealt with in, yeah. is dealt with in a, in a different manner. And the clubs tend to get more of that money. But um, in this instance with established guys like Acosta and Areola, it is difficult from where I'm sitting to see why the MLS team would want to sell outside of the league when they can do a trade and get a way more allocation money uh, to be able to use as they see fit. And it's, uh, yeah, uh, disingenuous with the use of the dollar sign. Um, unfortunate for the players that their value is more val is, is greater internally than externally. You know, part of that is is being really um, probably some of the more marketable assets for the MLS that are on the men's national team. And I would imagine that some would be pretty into keeping them in MLS. Uh, but to me, what this is all about is is their reaction to to criticism or to the situation not being um, conveyed in a way that they would think was proper. Uh, these guys are both. Um, Really- this is this is a big point, and I, I just got to splash this in because this is where we transition from like what this stuff is to Acosta and Areola may have been done dirty here, and so keep going with what you were saying. But it, it's a it's a transition moment for sure because yeah, I, I do think these guys were done dirty. Yeah, and and it's not like it was done dirty like outside the bounds of the rules or whatever. It's just like they these guys are are what you would consider more of the hardworking, mild mannered, like good soldier type guys. And I bet that's a lot of the stuff that like Greg likes about them. You know, they're willing to do what his plan is and they don't really question what's going on and stuff. And I, it's hard for me when I see the situation on face value, not to just think, well, it just kind of seems like the good soldiers got red tape thrown in their way. And that, that really sucks because I would have enjoyed watching Ariola at, uh, Club America and seeing him challenge himself or I would like to see Acosta. I don't know where he would have been. He was linked with exactly, but doing something else and pushing himself. Um, and it's interesting. They take exception to the criticism and, 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 and put it out there that they take exception to it. Um, specifically because they tend to be the, the quieter guys that kind of just get their job done and go about their business, you know? And and some of those tweets were kind of questioning whether or not they were the guy, quiet guy that was going to just, you know, get the job done and go about their business. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting situation, kind of um, highlights some of the complicated nature of the MLS trade system and how they are want to be very insular with their um, their dealings and protect protect value and, and move money around in, in little monopoly piles internally rather than interact with, you know, other assets that might call into question what the actual value of their stuff is. Yeah. And for, for those, you know, who, who don't know a ton about GAM and TAM, GAM is distributed by the league to different teams. It's not, I, I don't think it's something that is, um, earned per se i mean there are conditions in which teams get more gam or tam so finishing i think at the bottom of the table does that um and i think there are other conditions that allow gam or tam to be moved around but it's distributed across the league and then also many times external transfers to other leagues have a percentage of the transfer deal go to the league which is then used in whatever way it needs to be used so there are structures issued to the club the players club in in gam or tam exactly so not as much as like if they do a trade totally so you know the way that it's been set up it's like you said at the beginning it's far less appealing to um transfer a player from your team that doesn't come from a homegrown system it's much it seems to be much more advantageous to uh barter for gam or tam um big term do you feel like this this violation of trust between the players in the league is going to have any long-term effects on young players or players signing their initial contracts. So I think that um, 
it's in these situations, it almost ends up not mattering like what the truth of the matter was between the uh, the league and the players. What's way more important is the perception of whether or not, at least for other players, the perception of whether or not the players were treated appropriately. And when guys like that are um, saying stuff on Twitter, it doesn't it gives a it gives a weird taste in your mouth. And I feel like the most likely thing here is that players might question whether or not it's a good idea to have that extra year on their contract in the MLS because they don't want to get held hostage. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And I think we've talked about that beforehand, um, that short term deals seem to be the better option for the player. Um, How practical that is, I don't know. I, I actually went into a brief period to evaluate contracts as a whole both domestically and in in other leagues and it's very uncommon to see one to two year deals although every place i did see them i I felt like they were massively to the player's advantage um speaking of transfers and um you know moving abroad matt turner to arsenal is a rumor that has been coming up recently yeah um initially brought up by Taylor Twelman. Um, and I guess we'll just go right into it with, uh, what, did, what did he say? He's a, he's a very funny term, um, brand enhancement. Yeah, that's, it was a hard stop for me. Um, it's, it's really weird to see that type of language being used by somebody like Taylor Twelman, who um, I'm not sure is necessarily easy to picture in a, either as a journalist or as a person in a boardroom. So I wonder who writes his tweets. Uh, But brand enhancement? Like, I don't know that Matt Turner is thinking about brand enhancement when he's moving to Arsenal. Maybe he is a little bit, but I think he's mostly thinking about like, man, I get to go play in Europe, you know? And it's so odd to me that an ex-player would use these type of like, this type of like boardroom speak. Um, Oh, and it's it's, it's not a huge disconnect, man. It's not the first time we've seen it. I mean, this has been kind of a recurring theme. I remember hearing this with Landon Donovan recently. Yeah, when he got his trophy outside of um, the LA Galaxy Stadium, the first people he thanked were the key stakeholders. Key stakeholders? Like, who the hell talks like that? Not Landon Donovan, I would have thought. Like, it's it's wild, man. That type of that type of language from those these type of people is just really, really indicative of where their mindset is at. But really, with or Landon, what they're be, or what they're being compelled to say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big thing. And and you know, with Landon, I think he probably just picked up this type of language when he was like um, working on that Wells Fargo commercial. You know, because most of the stuff Landon believes in he'll have to have gotten paid for first, it seems. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no doubt. It's such a strange thing to say, to say, uh, thank the key stakeholders. Um, And and, and, this is coming from, you know, personally, this is coming from a guy who spent a lot of time in private enterprise. Like the only time I would hear somebody say, hey, I want to thank the key stakeholders is if like you went on a business venture and there's like a whole bunch of people that coughed up a whole bunch of capital to make it possible to do what you were doing. And I, I, it's strange language to use in the business world, um, but it's particularly strange given the circumstances and knowing that Twelman and Donovan spent their careers in soccer, not in business, and that there shouldn't be brand enhancement or thanks to key stakeholders. I just feel like the issue with all this is that it really like is no longer about the player and it's no longer about the excitement of the player going to the club or Matt Turner's potential or what he can deliver for Arsenal. And I think that's really what should be the core of the message. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. And I actually kind of want to get back onto that. Like, let's talk about the player message. The, the last thing that I guess I want to talk about before we get into, you know, Matt Turner's prospective career at Arsenal, or even, I don't know if this is even going to be a thing anymore, but all that aside, it's really interesting that, Arsenal is the club that's brought up because Stan Kroenke is the owner and he has a stake in MLS. So um, there's quite a bit of this like overlapping ownership that has happened recently. You know, Pepe is the other other recent example. Um, Yeah, I I don't know how much of this plays in for Turner because I don't see him as being as marketable as Pepe. And this is just on face value. But you know, it, it's ha- it's happening again, kind of a thing. So well, yeah, and I want to sp- I want to spell that out a little bit because I we went through this uh, research to understand which German teams are able to 
uh, sidestep the 50 plus one rule. And what we found were the teams were Wolfsburg because of the Volkswagen ownership, RB because of the equity that the employees can use to sway votes, Hoffenheim because of the SAP ownership, and um, Augsburg um, because of Blitzer's uh, ability to manipulate shares. And if you look at those teams, that's in the Bundesliga, that's where the majority of Americans are going. And now we're seeing it again with Arsenal, which, you know, it's an MLS team doing business with an MLS owner. And this is just a recurring pattern that is just like uh, too blatantly obvious to disregard. Yeah, what is exactly it means and how this instance um, gives greater context is kind of yet to be seen. But um, yeah, there's there's something going on with it for sure. But yeah, I'd like to actually talk a little bit about, you know, if Matt Turner were to move to Arsenal, what what do we think that would be like? Would it be like a good footballing move for him? Would it be a bad footballing move? Do we expect him to be a backup? All that kind of stuff. Well, and it's so funny because you brought a really good point to the table. My initial reaction was like, oh, they've got Ramsdale. Like he's one of the best keepers in the EPL this league. The only guy who's actually competitive with him right now is probably Jose Sa. Of course, he's not going to start for Arsenal. This is just a publicity stunt. But as you brought more evidence to the table, you actually have a really great argument for why this could be a great move for Turner and and why Arsenal could seriously benefit from having him on the team. So talk to me a little bit about that. So uh, the way that I come at this is just looking at the Arsenal goalkeeper history. Um, I, th- I want to say that basically since Jan's layman left, it's been a carousel more or less. Uh, they've had, you know, Fabianski there. They had uh, Chesney there. They had Ospina there. They had Martinez there. They had, um, gosh, I'm, you know, there's there's even more and I'm forgetting about it, but it is a ton of different players and they end up, Burt Leno, they have, a, that end up not being there very long. And then the guys end up being good. Actually, you know, like with Fabianski, they probably would, would like him or Martinez. They probably not mind having him right now. But um, that type of volatile history with Arsenal's goalkeeping core actually leads me to believe that Matt Turner would be likely to get a chance in a stretch of games at some point in time. Yeah, Ramsdale's been been pretty decent. And, uh, you know, he had that one game where he kind of like flew to prominence and now he's their goalie. Right. But like. What if he gets injured? What if some something weird happens where he's not he's not able to play anymore or whatever? Like, I, I just wouldn't put it past the Arsenal to have to end up with like Matt Turner playing a bunch of games and probably not looking that bad. I don't think he's got the foot skills to compete at the top top level, but the guy is a very good shot stopper, and that can go a long way um, in in any team still. Uh, Obviously, couldn't you know? To reiterate, it makes it more difficult to be a top level guy. The the, the lacking of foot skills is something that uh, you know we talk about in the U.S. men's national team circle. But it you know it's a difference maker, and and is a reason maybe it's difficult to to agree with what I, what I'm saying. But I just wouldn't be that surprised if Matt Turner ended up getting a stretch of like eight Premier League games toward the end of the season because whatever's going on with Arsenal's squad, their goalkeeper volatility, um, I don't. I just don't think it's done yet. No, re- and recent history wouldn't suggest it should be. Um, as you mentioned, Ramsdale was never a, fa- uh, never a popular option among Arsenal fans until he, until he started making ridiculous saves. And one of the things that we've talked about on the pod, and um, I've been cautious in addressing it, is that the goalkeeper position is one that comes very naturally to American athletes. And so I'm really of the belief that if there's a position that we can just have beyond the field and give them the opportunity to let their performance speak, the goalkeeper position is one of those positions I feel very comfortable with. And Turner is a great a great keeper. He's He's got great hand-eye coordination. He's got great reaction time. He, he's a good keeper. And if you're not if your system doesn't demand that your keeper plays with their feet, he could probably do pretty well. And he's not totally inept with his feet either. No, he just isn't as good as like, you know, I guess traditional European keeper. Exactly. You know, or even like our, our best goalie. So, um, that's really why I think why he, he gets that talked about a lot with him is because it's like, well, this is the reason that he's not playing, you know? So every time you talk about Turner, you're basically obligated to talk about foot skills. Um, but yeah, that's about all I got for the, the transfer stuff. Should we, um, get into the, um, 
let's see, U.S. men's national team fan base or the state of the fan base. Yeah, the what grinds my gears about our fans section of the pod. Yeah, I mean, I hate myself enough, so I'm going to hate on some other U.S. men's national team fans, too. Let's do it, man. Yeah, Let's do it. I think it what number one on those is just like the deference given to Greg Berhalter, but then the like coupled with the lack of like respect, the lack of de- yeah respect given to like established operations. You know, like people are so willing to in one side of their mouth like give. De- Burhalter the benefit of the doubt and then turn around and talk a bunch of shit about how bad Norwich is like like Norwich yeah they're not world beaters but like they're an established club that has been run in a fairly responsible manner for like a long time and there are like important things to learn about how soccer works from them as an example and so like when you go oh dude that couldn't cut it in second division of Sweden definitely deserving of more deference you shouldn't hate on him so much and this european team not doing the stuff that i think they should do like or they're bad i i don't know man it it like it drives me batty yeah it it drives me a little crazy as well and you know we kind of see these examples playing out when people take the position that well Ariola is being called in over Josh Sargent for a reason. Obviously, Burhalter trusts Sargent. And who the hell is Josh Sargent anyways? He's playing on a relegation-bound team in Norwich. We shouldn't even consider him an EPL player. It's just, it's such a lack of understanding and respect for an institution like Norwich that, like you said, has been around for a really long period of time. And it's not easy to run those businesses and to be constantly up and down as a yo-yo team. So, um, yeah, and it, acting like they're incapable of assessing players properly and stuff, especially when it's leveraged in arguments about like why guys shouldn't be included in the squad, it, it's just asinine, man. Like, you know, Brooks, for example, Jonathan John Brooks. Like, John Brooks is by far our most skilled center back in terms of like traditional like European football center back skill set. It, it's not even fucking close. And like people are like, no, no, no. Burhalter just said he wasn't in good form. You know, we'll get more onto this later, but like it, it's an absurdity, you know, um, or that like Joe Scaly didn't deserve to be in the squad over Brooks Lennon. Like it, that is an absurdity. There's like, there's no evidence that suggests that is the case. Um, and another thing we'll get into more later, but, but yeah, man, that it's just like people, People reason, I think, often toward, you know, an end rather than taking the evidence and seeing where it brings you. And maybe that's the one thing that I get really mad about with the the fan base. You know, pick your side and reason to your end. That's like our motto. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you brought up as we were preparing for this thing is there there are clubs like uh, Norwich or Bremen that really focus on scouting and development like that's their bread and butter like they're not trying to win the epl or the bundesliga but the amount of resources and intel they have in scouting and development just those clubs alone is potentially greater than the united states has across all of its resources both in the men's national team and the you know in in the mls as a whole yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say that the institutional experience that they have in the industry, it, it just dwarfs it, you know, and like the, yeah, it, there's just not real reasons to give such deference to Burhalter while then talking shit about like things that you clearly haven't thought about very much. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, so th- this is a good segue into the next topic, which is basically the roster drop. and. Uh-huh. There was a tweet that went out by, um, I'm going to butcher his name, Terry and Cole. So at Terry and T-A-R-I-E-N-C-O-L-E, Terry and Cole. You cannot expect a coach hired by nepotism to construct a roster based on merit. And this tweet is kind of like foreshadowing what the series of events that happened. So, you know, prior to the roster drop, Greg Berhalter is talking about like, who he might call up and this is this is the interview in which he couldn't remember where daryl dk played so ryan do you recall how that interaction went exactly um awkwardly i I remember that that part um i think the best way from that i can describe it is it seems like he had a brain fart and he couldn't remember the name 
and he was like, it, well, Ishmael's the coach or whatever. And, um, and like, he plays for, for which team again? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you know what? We all have our moments where we forget stuff, right? But like, could you imagine this happening if the player in question was Sebastian Legette? If you said yes, you're a fucking liar. Right. Like, the, how did you put it yesterday? Even though I think it's like an extreme example. Um, basically, like, you don't... I don't forget my wife's first name. Exactly. And, and that's like, that's obvious, right? But like, you remember the shit that you care about, you know? And Burhalter either is so overwhelmed with his responsibilities and all the player names and their movements that he can't remember that Daryl DK just made a transfer or like he just doesn't give that guy enough time that he remembers, you know, he doesn't give him a thought that he remembers what's going on with him. Yeah. I, uh, you know, there's, there was a moment that people pointed to with another interview that he did where, where people asked what constitutes being in good form. And they talked about the aggressive response that Berhalter gave. I didn't read too much into that, but this DK thing, it really bothered me. And it bothered me because DK has been, I've crunched the numbers of the last two years for our nines and who's doing what. And like, statistically speaking, there's really not a lot between them. If you give it, if you give everybody a multivariate analysis and to not know or not be able to rattle off off the top of your head where DK's played, what clubs he has played for, what he did in college, to not know those production levels is just kind of unsettling to me. That would I would think with the questions he has to be asking himself about the starting nine, knowing DK's background would be like one of the things that he knows so, most intimately. Um, and so to me, it just kind of stood out as like a moment of just like failed responsibility. Um, and I might be overlooking it, but it really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, it rubbed me the wrong way as well. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it's just kind of a sign of where his head's at. Um, so I think like the net net of this is like when Burhalter speaks, I get the impression he's going to do dumb shit. Yeah. Um, and so then yeah, the re- go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but it, it's okay, man. You know, he'll he'd just be like, dude, it's fine. You know, my brother works here. Right. It's like, do you, are you questioning me? Do you know who my brother is? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, uh, he, the roster then comes out and, um, there's some controversial inclusions. We, th- we think we're present in the roster. And so Ryan, does it make sense to go down the list of names that we think are somewhat controversial inclusions? Yeah. Do you just want to kind of like do a little discussion of each as we touch on them? Yeah, um, we should do a little discussion of each. And I should mention that we had the opportunity to um, interact with uh, Calcio Moneyball. And he gave us some perspective on why these players may be better options than the recommended options that we've put forward. And so we'll address what I call the Calcio Moneyball um, argument with each of these guys. But let's start with Brooks Lennon. Yeah, that's a name. (laughs) Right. Um, um, yeah, no, I just don't, I don't see any, uh, merit as, as what's going on here. Um, Joe Scaly, you know, he's played a lot of games at a high level in the Bundesliga. And if Gladbach is very comfortable starting him against, um, you know, basically Bayern the Munich. game that they play <laughs> yeah, yeah, up to and including Bayern Munich, um, I don't exactly understand why he would get would not get called in over Brooks Lennon. What in the world has Brooks Lennon done that's on par with that at all? Like, it, it just is... And, and if neither are experienced, which is basically the case, like, what is the tiebreaker here? What makes Brooks Lennon better? Joe Scaley's, like, plays in, in a good league. You know, Brooks Lennon, like, is probably a good up-and-coming guy, but, like, he didn't go to Gladbach and start, like, every game in the fall. Um, right. It's yeah. Uh, and, and this, we kind of broke this down in terms of the fullback position in a, like a, a, like, well, what would the full complement of fullbacks look like? You know, and you got Dest and you got um, Robinson on as the primary guys, right? You got Yedlin as like your veteran backup and, and, and journeyman. So like, he usually is a good inclusion. Um, and then do we want a tr- left footed uh, backup or do we want another right footed guy? 
Yeah, basically a guy playing out of position. Yeah, or do we want a guy that can play both sides, you know, like Scaly? Um, And through all of those, like, different chains of thought, it's very difficult to arrive at Brooks Lennon as the correct option. (laughs) Like... Like, yeah, bring in Joe, Jonathan Gomez if you don't like the way Sam Vines or Bellow have been playing, you know, bring in Joe Scaly because like he's really fucking good. Um, it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And uh, one of the arguments I hear is that, uh, well, Joe Scaly or Jonathan Gomez or Sam Vines, they don't have a lot of minutes and they're not integrated into the men's national team. That's a that's a moot point. It's a really weak argument. It doesn't Isn't it also it. true of Brooks Lennon. though. It's absolutely true of Brooks Lennon. But it, the, my issue is, is if you take that argument to the extreme form, then how do you reconcile anybody ever getting yeah. introduced to the team? Exactly. It's, it, it, it's a it, it's got a dead end, that argument. And so you have to understand what your stopping points are with, well, they don't have minutes. Well, they haven't been integrated into the club. Well, at what point do you give somebody minutes and integrate them to the club? If you're mm-hmm. going to take that position, you have to take the position of when is the exception. But regardless... Joe Scaly's balling out in the Bundesliga. He's showing up against teams like Bayern Munich. Brooks Lennon, nowhere even close to that discussion. Jonathan Gomez played how many minutes with the men's national team? Like 10, and basically was the source of a goal. Like he didn't score the goal, but it was his actions that allowed the goal to be scored. And a lot of people will say, well, anybody could have done that in that position. It was just a matter of coincidence. Well, you know what? He's got very few minutes under his belt, and he basically created a goal scoring opportunity and won us a game. And like, you can't take that away from him. That's just not something you get to do in sports. Sam Vines has gone to another league. He's somewhat performed. I mean, he, I don't know if he's been dominant for the team that he's been playing for, but he's a left footed player. That's at least made the move to Europe. Isn't going to be playing out of position. Like any of those guys seem like a better option than Brooks Lennon. So I was absolutely baffled that Brooks Lennon was included in the squad. Yeah, it doesn't, make a sense make any sense to me and brooks lennon like the logic that you apply to justify his um inclusion it just sounds like it's idiocracy like oh no it's got what plants crave you know oh yeah it's it's just it's asinine shit man and and people and yeah people fucking gobble it up um (laughs) so let's move on down the list to mark mckenzie who who's included in the team over somebody who's quote-unquote out of form (laughs) <laughs> um, the hypocrisy of this is insane because the truth is, is for anybody who knows what in form and out of form means, Mark McKenzie is probably not a guy in form. He's no. not playing. And he has made huge mistakes for the men's national team. I mean, yeah. he has been, he, he, people look at John, it's like, again, hypocrisy is the perfect word because people look at John Brooks and they're like, oh, he made a mistake that caused us a goal. And it's a horrible analysis of the game tape and what actually happened on the play. But the player who's actually made mistakes that have caused us goal that have caused goals to be scored against us, Mark McKenzie is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And he isn't getting consistent minutes for um Gank. For Gank. He he plays a decent amount, and I think it's his playing time overall is on the is on the rise right now, but he's nowhere near an established first teamer for Gank. He's nowhere near in the class of John Brooks. Um, John Brooks is just our best center back. And like the only reason that you wouldn't include this guy in the squad in or out of form is because there's something else going on with the coach and him. You know, you might be and what you think it might be is probably informed by where you sit on the like, you know, MLS or versus Euro snob continuum. Uh, But yeah, it's. It's sad, man, because John Brooks is really, really good, and I want to see him included. And beyond that, I just want to see like guys that are performing well getting a fair shake at making the team. So, like Cameron Carter Vickers, for example, probably deserves to be included above Mark McKenzie as well. He's been playing super consistently and and one of the best center backs in the Scottish League right now for one of the most historic teams. Yeah, they're not they're not your dad's Celtic, but like he's better than Mark McKenzie is right now. He's playing yeah. at an equal level basically. And like actually playing all the time. Um, so it, it just sucks when like guys like that get locked out as well. When, when they, you know, what else is the guy supposed to do aside from play really good? So I don't, I don't know. I get, I get irritated by this. Like, yeah, no, as you should. Um, 
so you know just to level set we were calcio moneyball we were we are of the same opinion with mark mckenzie and why he was included over john brooks doesn't it sounds like neither one of us believe that that was a legitimate shake um the next guy we have on the list is sebastian Leggett, and i've i think we've postured both tanner testman and johnny cordoso as better options than Leggett. um so talk us talk me through that logic and you know maybe the first question i should ask you and it might be a moot, you might say it's a moot point but is tanner testman better than sebastian Leggett? um i just immediately answer that by saying it's really hard to tell if you don't call in testman ever that's right uh, um and i and it's also really hard to tell if Leggett never leaves the mls yeah that too um well he was on uh west, west Ham, but his yep. playing time you should look into that uh the um the thing with this type of move, whether it would be including Tessman over Sebastian Lejet or Cardoso over Sebastian Lejet, is more about like a. It's okay to have a slight eye toward the future, especially when we're talking about further down the pecking order. So Sebastian Lejet is just not one of the best midfielders that we have, and his absence isn't detrimental to us in a meaningful way. So why would you keep him around? When you could bring in somebody that has a potential higher ceiling. And yeah, you might talk about like, oh, well, it's it's World Cup qualifying. We can't be messing around with this kind of stuff too much right now. But like, we didn't do it when we played a bunch of friendlies. He just kept calling in the same retreads. So I, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to like buy into that because like Greg didn't do that shit when he could have. Um, and I watch enough that like Tessman has skills, a skill set that may allow him to be much, much better than Sebastian Legette. Johnny Cardoso certainly has a skill set that could allow him to be. So why don't we just get a chance to see these guys, these younger guys that will be with us into the future and whose growth arc is going up? get to interact with the other good players and see what happens. Usually when you play with other good players around you, you your level raises unless you're a shitbag and then you don't call them back in. Like, which is what should have happened with some of the other guys we're about to talk to. Talk yeah. About. Yeah. I agree. And, and just to recap, like is, is Tessman or Cardoso better than Legat? Like if you're it to, uh, to me personally, the answer is like, yes, they are better. Um, but that's besides the point. If you can't make that determination, there's like a hierarchy of decisions that you you would go down the list to, to do your tiebreaker with. And so if it's like skills, number one, and you're undetermined, then you move down to the next criteria of how you're going to make your decision. And so let's say you're buying a car and you're like, I want the Kia Telluride or I want the Honda Palisade. If they offer the same features, your secondary condition might be like, okay, which one costs less? And your third condition or your third level in the hierarchy might be like, okay, which one has a more reputable brand that runs for a longer period of time? As you said, when you're splitting hairs between guys who are at the bottom of the depth chart, you sh- it's okay to keep an eye towards the future. And Leggett yeah. is not the future. Yep. No, that's, so, you know, couldn't say that better myself. So next on the list, um, we've got Alex Roldan's brother. Oh yeah. That guy. Um, yeah. A guy that keeps getting included. And even though he does dick off, it, it it doesn't make any sense, man. Like, and then as the, the plausible alternative we have here is uh, Jordi Mihailovic. So like that guy is an MLS player that had the most assists in MLS, if I remember correctly. That's right. And like, he doesn't even get a sniff at any of the qualifying. Um, th- this is one of the really, really like weird things here. Uh, the Roldan continually being included when he's like not productive or particularly useful or like good at soccer versus like Milhajevic who is younger, has a brighter future already is better in MLS than rolled on. Like what is going on here? It, it to me, this might with the role with rolled on and Milhajevic thing. It, I, I get the feeling that Burhalter is slow to change and adapt and let go of stuff. And Roldan is just one of those things that, like, for whatever reason, he, he ha- it, it made him comfy and it made him sleep well one night and he doesn't want to let it go. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think you could be right about that. My take is that Mihailovic is in a small market MLS team and the, and the key stakeholders, as Landon Donovan would like to call them, are more valuable in, in, for the Sounders than they are for CF Montreal, who I think is going through a relocation at the moment. Um, I'm not just an analytics snob. I also really value the tape. I think soccer is one of the sports where you can't let analytics do all the talking like you could in like say baseball or football, but that's not to say that analytics should be discredited at all. Cause you can do some crazy great things with analytics as Liverpool's demonstrated to us, but Mihailovic passes the eye test. He's one of those guys that like, it's no surprise that he was the leader in assists in the MLS, his ability to find progressive passes, to find passes that like put players through is super valuable and he deserves to be surrounded by good talent to, yeah. you know, to see what happens. Yeah, it would be it would be really neat to get to see him, um, you know, having the chance to play play through balls to Pulisic or something like that, uh, or or get to you know play with uh, Wea or something. There's just there's so much going on um, that or there the potential there's the potential for so much more to be going on than is, and it, it just feels like missed opportunity and stuff we never get back. So there's like a certain amount of, of melancholy associated with these discussions for me. Because there, we, yeah, me too. We just like don't, we, we just like don't get to see this stuff when it feels like it, it could work sometimes. Yeah. Um, let's move on down the list. And I, I feel the same way, by the way, um, Paul Ariola over Josh Sargent. Um, there's been all sorts of egregious arguments about this one. Uh, one of them that I heard is that, well, they don't occupy the same position. All right, dude. You know, uh, Josh Sargent played off the right-hand side for Werder Bremen quite a, quite a bit as well. I, if you, like, pull up their heat charts, like what Josh Sargent's doing in the EPL and what Paul Ariel has done for the net men's national team, the only difference is that there's more red along the right side of the field when Josh Sargent plays because Josh Sargent is more athletic than Paul Areola yeah. and teams play through Josh Sargent because he's worth playing through in the EPL. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me that Paul Areola was included over Sargent. Like there is not a single thing, a single thing that Areola does better than Sargent work rate. No, like hustle. No closing down, you know, closing down defenders and pressing. No Sargent's better at all of it. Yeah. Um, and I know um, the the objection here was a recency bias, but I think anybody that's listened to Al talk about the nine position and Josh Sargent, and I know we're talking about him versus Paul Ariola here, but uh, basically like Al in particular and, um, you know, me not as vocally, at least on Twitter, it's not recency bias. Like we like Josh Sargent quite a bit. We think that he's got um, perhaps a little bit of a misunderstood skill set, and um, is definitely useful though in, in what he can bring to the table. Uh, the way that I see Josh Sargent play sometimes with his ability to, um, you know, maintain possession and play with other, bring other people into the play. Uh, you know, like you said, the, that Norwich literally can play through him. It's not pretty shit necessarily. They're kicking it up to the right-hand side of the field, letting Josh Sargent like beat fools up, win the balls and get, get <laughs> yeah. stuff going. But like he can do that really friggin' well, you know, and, and you would never do anything like that with Paul Areola. And, and like, five, can, five. yeah, can like come back to the ball, hold the ball, do nice passing interchanges. Like I said, bring other people into the play. Um, he, you can you can just utilize what Josh Sargent is in in a few different places throughout the throughout the field. You know, uh, there's a lot of people talking about how he, uh, you know, is is probably most well suited for the midfield. And um, I yeah, think shout out could, to our boy Berlin Americaner. Yeah, he's been <laughs> Sergeant six seven eight. His uh, his burner, I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's great shit, man. Like, but the way Josh plays, and you can see the way that he like creates passing triangles and like gets people to, you know, gets people to move off of the passing triangles and moves the team forward. And you can use them as a pivot point. And like, like his skill set's really, really good. It's light years ahead of Areola's. And um, yeah, it's not just because he like did a, a pseudo scorpion kick. Like a lot of this stuff has to do with the nitty gritty and the way that he plays and his ability to, for me personally, interact with the players around him in like a really positive possession oriented matter totally like, man areola like just yeah he doesn't do that kind of stuff no but he is uh 
Craig Burhalter's uh, son. Oh yeah, so, son. I love you, son. I love you, both. I love you, Dad. Uh, <laughs> all right, so Jordan Morris. Um, this is an interesting one because people, again, will like to talk about form. Uh, somebody who has shown no form is Jordan Morris because Jordan Morris hasn't played. And the game against Bosnia doesn't fucking count. No, it absolutely doesn't count. Um, and this is just straight shoehorned in. You know, it's like, that's help you rehab the MLS players because that's what the U.S. men's national team is here for. Let's just, like jam a guy into the roster when he hasn't played at all at any competitive level. And the reason that we wanted to bring Hope up here is the is the other option is because like, hey, Hope hasn't played much either. So shouldn't we just bring him instead? He's like, did he ball a- out during the gold cup? Yeah. And he's got a way more well-rounded skill set than uh, Jordan Morris does. So that's that for me is really important. And he's got like, here's the thing that'll piss a bunch of people off, but like, he's got the mentality. Hope has that killer instinct. Hope didn't make it in the MLS, had to work his way through Europe. Hmm. Wonder if him not being in the MLS plays onto it all. Jordan Morris didn't try to go to Europe because he wanted to play tiddlywinks with his goddamn parents. Like, yeah. The mentality discrepancy here is fucking incredible. It um, is. And yeah, I didn't get, get really get what um, Calcio Moneyball was saying there. Yeah, I feel I feel old. I don't know. Maybe it was a joke I didn't get. Um, yeah, yeah. Ca- Calcio Moneyball. Yeah, sorry, bro. We're old and we're not cool <laughs> anymore and we're not trying to be yeah. cool. You were never cool, dude. It's fine. No, it's fine. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So last one we have is Jesse Zardes. I mean, what the fuck, dude? Um, like, I why do people hate Jordan P. Folk? What has he done? Like, what is does he need to save like a family from a burning house or multiple families from a burning house? Or does he need to like find a unicorn in a cave or like hit a hole in one with a golf ball? Like, what does he need to do for people to respect him? Um, be Ricardo Pepe, yeah. So, basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I, th- I think that I think that would solve it pretty quick. Uh, yeah, it's weird. His continued snub, especially with like Zardes is the, you know, replacement. Like Jesse Zardes is not good at soccer, guys. He just isn't. He shouldn't be included in the national team he, ever. He's not yeah. good. Like, I don't know what the fuck say. If you don't think that, then you literally don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get it. Um, I've heard people like argue that P-Folk is an inform. And I'd question if they even understand what form means. It's like, he's not in form. He hasn't played for a month. That's like not how form works. There are times where players, you know, where teams go on international breaks and the players continue to train with their team. And there was even times, I mean, for me personally, after a college season, we would go into like a futsal league. And I was in my best form after the season because I had spent the entire season training and I was still had fresh legs like being out of form was being out of a season and coming into a season and struggling to get my legs underneath me you don't lose form training with your team not having played games for a month and the last game that p folks played in he scored four goals like i don't understand it and so you know that's one of the arguments i've heard against p folks is that he's not in form but the the and there's another argument that i've heard about him which is like Oh, he doesn't fit our system, and I'll address that one later. But for the purposes of this conversation, one of the things that Calcio Moneyball brought up was that uh, he's immobile, and I don't care that he's immobile. Um, I don't care if he's got two left legs. I don't care if his teeth are bad or he's got bad breath or if he's got a pink mohawk or his ass hair hangs out of the bottom of his shorts. I don't care. He scores goals. He scores more goals than any nine that we have. He's on pace to double Pappy's production. He scored goals in the Champions League. He's rumored for other European moves. Like, I just don't think people under, like, understand who he is well enough or are not tracking his production or haven't paid attention to what he was doing when he was Ricardo's Pepe, Ricardo Pepe's age, which was scoring goals in the French League. So I don't understand the hate for P. Folk. Yeah, um, I feel like what happened was Thierry Henry questioned Burhalter that one time on the um, like the Champions League show, and oh um, yeah, it basically is like now now Burhalter's triggered. Yeah, I hate P folk. Should we like 
uh, I guess if we just like question, we, you can't question Burhalter's position on somebody. I think if you say he did like a good job of bringing like Leggett or Acosta in, he would stop including them. I I don't know. He's got a twisted mind. I've said this before. He's like a modern. He's like a modern Ted Bundy. The Ted Bundy of U.S. soccer. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh man. So we just went over controversial inclusions. Let's talk about controversial exclusions. Yeah, which we kind of did in part uh, yeah. through the the alternates to the controversial inclusions. But um, yeah, I think it's time to dive a bit deeper into you know John Brooks. Um, I, I is he just frozen out? Like, and if he is just frozen out, do we even deserve to know what's going on? I mean, does uh, it conditionally mean? I don't know. We'll talk about this later in the EPL piece, but like. Does a good coach freeze out their best defender? Yeah, um, not unless they did something really, really shitty. So that that's why it's like, are we ever really even going to know? Because I I don't accept the idea that he's just like literally not good enough in whatever way you want to say it. Not in form, like takes too big of risks. Uh, isn't doesn't fit our system. For, yeah, isn't equipped for Concacaf. Like, no, he's just our most skilled center back. And like something else is going on that is causing him not to get called in. That doesn't have to do with his ability on the field. He's like that much better than everybody else at, at the position. So like even an out of form, John Brooks is, is going to be like a lock in for the squad. So I, I just don't get it, man. I wish that in the future we get to learn more about this. Um, Cause right now it just seems like we're wasting a really, really good chess piece. Yeah, I don't understand it either, and I think we've done a good job um, discussing it so far. I'll leave it at this: like, you don't freeze out your best center back. Yeah. Um, when we were doing our Euro predictions of who's going to win the Euro Cup, um, we had selected Italy to win, and we selected them specifically because of how solid they were in their backline—the Benucci Cialini combo. Um, we've seen RB Leipzig really struggle with adjusting their center back positions, mm-hmm. and I just. Don't believe you tinker with your with some of your most solid chess pieces, especially if they're in the center back position. I, I just think it conditionally shows how poor of a coach Berhalter is. Yeah, or there's like maybe if you want to take it, no, he legitimately is being left off for some undisclosed reason. Then like that reason has to be like good a time a huge bomb, you know? Yeah. And I, who knows if we'll hear about it or if we even deserve to. Um. So also within controversial exclusions, I don't know if this makes sense to have it here, but like P and Sargent not being included, I thought were really controversial and I'm just going to say it like Pepe is grossly overrated and this bubble is about to burst and we've been talking about this. I don't know. We've been talking about it for like three months. months. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as Pepe, Pepe had his run with the men's national team and he scored uh, like three goals, I think, in the first two games he played or something like that. Um, and it was an, like an incredible first run. And even after that point, and I want the best for Ricardo Pepe and I hope he turns into an absolute baller and he's got the potential to do it. But even after that happened, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're like way over indexing a small sample size. And since that point, nobody has relinquished that position. We see it in the way that he's been transferred. We see it in his use of the men's national team. Um, and keep in mind, all of his productivity for the men's national team is being bolstered by playing with MMA, which neither Sergeant or DK or P folk have Basically, done. No one has. No one else has done it. Yeah. So, um, I just I, I have a you know DK is not included because he's injured. Um, but I have a really hard time with like Josh Sargent and P folk not even being in the squad. Let alone he wasn't like injured until after this election. Uh, that's true. Yeah. And by the way, DK has the same production that uh, that Pepe has over. If you look at a two-year sample size, so if you if you basically look at their minutes played and goals scored, DK has just as many goals scored per minute as Pepe. The only difference between the two is DK played with lesser talent in experimental lineups. Yeah, uh, with Pepe, he needs to do something in the Bundesliga pretty soon here, or um, those Augsburg fans are, they're not going to stay quiet about it. And it's going to be interesting to see how that all develops. I hope he he scores. Um, 
pretty soon and starts getting it together in the Bundesliga. And, you know, more than that, I hope he scores on, on Thursday night here. But uh, also one thing to make sure that everyone understands, because I think people can get triggered, overrated does not equal bad. You know, for the purpose no, of having civil conversations about this and actually trying to understand and have nuance, like overrated does not equal bad. We try to not deal in like um, absolutes here um, on life, like our Sith brethren over in uh, Don Garberville. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, it's, no, uh, it's it's a bittersweet moment in a sense, because like there's this element of like told you so that's what's going on. And, yeah, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to suppress that a little bit. Well, yeah, like, but it's you don't like, want to root against people. No, you know, you, you want don't to do well. And Pepe didn't do anything wrong, and so you know you you want Pepe to be successful, and so it's this bittersweet type of thing where it's like, yeah, I was right, but like you're watching this dude who's if he doesn't start producing in the Bundesliga, it's going to get eaten up by the Augsburg fans, and it's gotten to the point where like we we discussed that this was going to happen when if he's unable to perform, which I hope he isn't, but so far he has not been good. Um, people are either going to blame his agent, they're going to blame the club, and but what we're seeing first is people are starting to question the legitimacy of like publications in Europe. Kicker, I think, is the one that was questioned most recently. Yeah, with their scoring system and everything, and people thinking that he got like underrated or whatever. People right. are hypersensitive to the the way that you you talk about Pepe, you know, and um. It makes it difficult to have honest conversations around him. I, I don't disagree. Um, so what other talking points do we have for the men's national team? Something that you had brought up that I really want to want to talk about here is uh, Tyler Adams, because he's super integral to the team. We don't have much of a like-for-like like replacement, but I think you and I agree that he isn't uh, operating, his, let's say, operating at his optimal level recently. Um, and what does that mean for the U S men's national team? And like, what are some prospective ways to deal with or replace a Tyler Adams that isn't firing on all cylinders? Yeah. Um, I, I'm really bullish on De La Torre and I know that 95 to 99% of the fan base is going to say you take Tyler Adams over De La Torre any day of the week. Um, my dumbass mind feels like De La Torre actually offers a very dynamic change in the way that we play if Adams is either out with a second yellow card or loses form so significantly that he can't be included. And, and note that over the last few international breaks, like Adams has turned over the ball in occasionally in bad spots, like nothing to phase him out of the lineup. But in the event that De La Torre had to play, and you brought this to me, Ryan, De La Torre is a guy that's what people would call press resistant. Eunice Moose is also a dude that's press resistant. What that basically means is like when teams try to press these guys, they're very difficult to press. Their ability to turn with the ball and punish you for pressing, especially if you can't do it effectively, is, is something that opens up opportunity for your team. And so against poor competition having press resistant players can really like take a score line from one to two to nothing and make it like four to five, nothing because you get these awesome counterattacks and against good teams that want to press being press resistant really lets you punch above your weight. De La Torre's distribution is absolutely phenomenal. If you look at his highlight reel, it's like these million dollar moves where like somebody tries to press him. He turns them dribbles up the entire length of the field, feeds the ball to somebody's feet at the mouth of the goal and they miss the goal entirely. It's just like, it's like clockwork. It happens every single time. And I'm just really curious to see what would happen if a guy like Eunice Musa and De La Torre were able to play together in a midfield and how often they would progress the ball and how many opportunities we would generate. They're different players that can both occupy the six. Yeah. Um, my reservation here is mostly in that I've never seen De La Torre operate as the like pivot point as the single six. It's always in yep. a double pivot. Yep. And I don't know about his ability to do the kind of like mopping up type of stuff that Adams excels at. And I'm not sure that that is that totally like foils what you're talking about. But for me, that's like the biggest, the biggest question mark that I have when I hear what you're talking about. 
I totally hear you. Um, I thought about that because I, I brought it up and I got eaten alive for bringing it up. And one of the topics that was brought up was like, we are, people are going to run through us um, because we won't have any defensive posture. Um, one of the things that I will say is like from a statistical standpoint, De La Torre is not performing poorly. He's actually numbers wise and the numbers aren't comparable. Um, one person said it's like comparing division one basketball to the NBA numbers wise. He's, he seems to be performing at a higher clip than Adams. There's a lot more to it than that. Like, obviously, like Adams is put into a position at RB where he's like um, tied to the whipping post if he can't perform defensively. And he's put in these like very difficult positions where he has to like eat yellow cards or like serve as the last line of defense. So it's like very difficult to compare the two of these things. But what I will say is that if you're going into a game and you're not sure if somebody can operate defensively or offensively, I would venture to take the guy that you know can operate on the offensive end of things and be pleasantly surprised that they can hustle and work their ass on defense, work their ass off on defense, which I think De La Torre can do. And a lot of people would disagree with that. I think what I'm getting to is that I don't think De La Torre is bad defensively. And if he's put into a position of significant defensive responsibility, I'm not convinced, and I've seen no evidence to support that he can't do it. There is no evidence to support that he can, though. Yeah, I mean, he's put in some really solid defensive performances in a double pivot, um, being the team that's like you know has less of the ball. So he's he's fine at he's fine at the defensive responsibilities. It's more for me about the like the difference between being the only guy there and having somebody next to you, and how that type of dynamic works. Uh, that we that would give me pause in the situation but i do like the concept of if i'm going to make some sort of selection i would rather put the guy that i'm nervous in about like i know can handle the ball well but i'm have question marks on the defensive side rather than the opposite of that i um i appreciate that mentality i i think it's good to be positive i think soccer is a sport of of confidence and, and belief in yourself in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of shit is right. But like soccer is, is, especially when the ball's at your feet and knowing that like, I can take the ball, I can pass the ball to my teammate. I can get the ball back. I can move like having the confidence to do all those things and not feel like you're going to cough the ball up is really what ends up ma- separating the teams at the top. So, um, De La Torre has skills to be able to participate in that manner. Um, at a decent level. I hope at least with the guy gets on the field a little bit here and we get to see him yeah, more than too. the like garbage time shit well, we've seen for him. Let me ask you this. Um, and not for the purposes of this break, cause I don't even want to get into what Berhalter is going to do, but like, let's say it is like a highly competitive no. game. Let's say it's a highly competitive game and Adams goes down and you have to look, you look at your bench and you've got a cost or you've got De La Torre. Who are you putting out there? I'm probably just going to put a, a cost out there to be honest. Yep. That's fair. I'm, I, needless to say, I'd put out De La Torre, but that's fair. It's a, and it's a good question. Um, all right, so let's talk. Into, let's move into other talking points for the men's national team. Um, Weston is in fantastic. Yeah, form. some of the positives. Yeah, we should. We'll close it out with some positives here because uh, you know we love our negativity over at Dust Champions. But um, yeah, Weston is in great form, man, and it's he's so fun. He's so bubbly personality wise. He's going to score Weston a hat, right? is like, in awesome form. Um, he's been killing it over at Juventus and super, super excited with the way that he's been playing. He's one of those guys that if you pop into the squad, you're almost you're almost sure he's going to do great things. Um, we've also got Christian Pulisic, who's been he's for the first for one of the first times he's totally healthy coming into the men's national team. And when this guy puts on the red, white, and blue, he absolutely balls out. And so having Pulisic on the field, healthy and hungry is a beautiful thing. Um, Finally, we've got Brendan Aronson, who's going to be present. And this guy has just consistently gone out and performed in a way that makes you feel like when he's on the field, something awesome is going to happen. Um, And I would say the expectation of this entire international break is that full points are to be expected. Um, we might dive into a little bit more about how and why, but in the short term, we're going into this break hoping that we'll we'll generate nine points. Um, from us at Das Champions, um, we're going to hold off on the EPL version of this pod. We're probably going to introduce that tomorrow. This has already gone on for 105 minutes, and so instead of 
crushing you guys with content, we're going to hold off and do the EPL segment tomorrow. Um, stay tuned for our sudden cardiac arrest pod and um, make sure to find us on YouTube. Guys, take care and we will talk to you soon.